look up here and you're like, oh, well, there it is. You're like, remember to turn on the microphone. Remember to turn the recording on on my phone so my friends can listen later because they all want to hear me preach, but none of them came for some reason. And they'll hear that now because I pushed go. Um, yeah, so anyway, I do aspire to be a coffee nerd. Um, I also aspire to be a bit of a Bible nerd. Um, so I did two years at Columbia Bible College, um, and that is where I sort of whet my appetite for my Bible nerdery, as it were. Uh, and so when I was asked to speak here to you all, and the topic was ready to care for the poor, my first thought was, oh gosh, that's a massive topic, and they want me to talk about this in 30 minutes. Um, and so, being the Bible nerd that I am, the first thing I did with the one verse that I was given, because it's only one verse, Proverbs 14.31, is naturally I went to Strong's numbers, which if you don't know what those are, uh, those are basically the Hebrew words. So Strong's numbers is the entire Bible has been coded in these like numerical codes that you can then look up those numbers and see what's the Hebrew word or the Greek or the Aramaic that was used in this passage and what did that mean to people of that day? How would people who spoke this original language have understood this? So I went into full-on nerd mode and spent like three hours intensively researching every single Hebrew word used in this passage. And so I had all these notes and all this information. Uh, and then I picked up this book that I had when I was in Bible college, and it's How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by uh, Gordon Fee and someone, someone else. It's later on in my notes. I'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> so I picked up this book, and I started reading about Proverbs. Um, and so this book, if you're like new to reading the Bible, or you're like, man, the Bible makes no sense, I highly, highly recommend this book. Um, because it talks about all the different kinds of writing styles in the Bible and all those things. And so, as I picked up that book, and, um, no doubt the Hebrew is important, and no doubt the original words that were used are important, and no doubt that what those words meant then are important for us today. But actually, the book of Proverbs um, is much more about short, catchy sayings than it is about all of the specific words. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a second. But after all of my nerding out, I realized that actually, I think the most important thing is for us to walk out of here remembering one thing. So our verse for today is Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. I'm like, man, that's not very catchy, and that's not, like, very easy to remember in English, right? Like, there's nothing, there's no rhyming, there's no cadence, there's no nothing, right? Like, it's just, I've been studying this, and I still probably couldn't say that to you off the top of my head, right? And so I thought, man, what's, like, a catchy, modern, like, equivalent proverb that's easy to remember, that, like, it's going to rhyme, it's got a nice little rhythm, so I'm proposing to you that actually what we should all remember, myself included, walking out of this room today, is that righteous living requires responsible giving. So I'm going to repeat that a lot. It's going to be on a lot of slides. The reality is most everyone in this room, myself included, 
is going to walk out of here and forget majority of the things that I say to you. That's just a straight fact. It's not even myself. Like, I will go home and be like, Mount, and you're like, what's this one thing I should walk out of this door and remember? It's that righteous living requires responsible giving. And we're going to get into all of that. Um, so I'm going to pray, though, before we do. Jesus, thanks that you are good. Um, thanks that you have been generous to us, and that as a result of your, generous, of your generosity to us, that we have the privilege of being generous to others. And Lord, thanks that you call us to be generous, um, even when we don't have that much. That you call us to be generous um, with more than our finances, that you call us to be generous in honor of why we ought to live that way as a response to your generosity to us. Amen. So, as I mentioned, bit of a Bible nerd, and so Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is what is called wisdom literature. Uh, the other guy who wrote this book, by the way, his last name is Stuart, Fee and Stuart, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Again, highly recommend. So there's different literary styles that make up the Bible, okay? Maybe you guys know this, maybe you don't, I don't know. I didn't know this until I went to Bible college. And I was like, whoa, this is life-changing. So a lot of scripture is what's called historical narrative. So that's, you know, like Genesis is a historical narrative. It's a story um, about what happened in Israel's history. The book of Proverbs is what's called wisdom literature. And so other wisdom literature books would be like Job, Ecclesiastes, um, some of the Psalms would be considered wisdom literature, and usually uh, Song of Solomon is also placed within this category. And, <clears throat> oh, wrong way, there we go. Um, and the thing is, I think Fee and Stewart say it as good as anyone could, Hebrew wisdom is a category of literature that's unfamiliar to most modern Christians. Though a significant portion of the Bible is devoted to wisdom, when misused, it can provide a basis for selfish, materialistic, short-sighted behavior, just the opposite of what God intended. So I don't know if you've ever <clears throat> had someone, um, usually a Bible-believing Christian, because they're usually the only people who do this, uh, like quote a proverb to you as like, and this is the Lord's promise to you for your life. Okay, I've done this to people. I will readily admit that. Um, and it's not that God can't speak to us through those things, but it's that actually the book of Proverbs was written not for that purpose. Like that's not how it was meant to be used. The book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings that are meant to guide us towards wisdom in how to live our lives. So, <clears throat> that being said, they're, they're more concerned with generic wisdom principles than technicality. So, that means that where Proverbs say, like, you know, if you do this, this will happen. That's not an explicit promise that if you act in this way, you will gain these things in your life. That's meant to point us to the reality that wisdom says 
Wisdom dictates when you act like this, this is usually what's going to happen. This is usually what the outcome will be. Does that make sense? So it's like, you know, those catchy little phrases or sayings that your parents probably told you growing up. Or like, for example, if you think of the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword, right? I'm pretty sure most of us have probably heard that phrase, right? Okay, maybe not. Someone's shaking their head at me. So the pen is mightier than the sword. What that's, what that's supposed to mean is that actually, like writing and thought can change things more than fighting. That's what that phrase is meant to say, right? That's a wisdom saying. That's a modern day proverb. Now, if in 2,000 years time from now, someone read that written down, they'd be like, what are these crazy people talking about? Obviously, the pen is not mightier than the sword, right? Like, if you think about it from a different context where you've never heard that and you don't know what that means, you're thinking like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. And it's the same. When we look at the Proverbs, it can be the same thing. But once we understand what it is that they're pointing us to, we can begin to understand what that means for our lives. Uh, so Fee and Stewart say this. Students and teachers alike in the Old Testament times used a variety of literary techniques as aids to remembering their wisdom. God inspired the wisdom portions of the Bible according to such techniques so that they might be learnable and memorizable. Poetry has the careful wordings, cadences, and stylistic qualities that make it easier to commit to memory than prose. Okay, so this is why we have like a really easy time memorizing song lyrics and generally a really difficult time memorizing passages of scripture. Because song lyrics are poetry. They're written as poetry, which is why we can remember it. And the Proverbs in the original language in Hebrew, they are poetry. So when the Israelites would have read all of these phrases and all of these sayings, they would have been catchy. They would have been things that the Israelites could remember easily. And so you might be wondering, like, Brittany, you're supposed to be talking to us about, like, how to care for the poor. What does this have to do with anything? Um, but I think that actually this has a lot to do with what we're talking about. Because wisdom literature is something that helps us point ourselves towards God so that we can live in obedience to him. That's the intention of it. And so I've already said this. Out of here, I want us to remember this phrase, that righteous living requires responsible giving. Because that's something that we can remember. That's something that's poetic to us. Right? When we read Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Right? Like, even if I were to ask you right now, which one are you more likely to be able to tell me? I'd be willing to put money on the fact that it's probably the second one. And that's based on the fact that I've read both of these multiple times, and the one that I could recite to you is the second one. Maybe you have a better memory than me, and so, you know, you're doing better, but... Um, and so another thing you might be thinking is, man, you're talking about getting ready to care for the poor, and, and yet this phrase you want us to remember says nothing about the poor. Um, but I think as we get into some of the rest of these things, it'll start to make sense why actually uh, being generous towards the poor is implied in this phrase. And actually, when we look at it, um, part of the reason I worded this phrase in this way is because 
it's assumed that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will desire to be generous. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more as well. So, I think it's important as we begin to talk about, okay, what, is, what does this verse mean? Um, you know, what does it mean to oppress the poor? What does it mean to be generous to those who are needy? Is we have to first define what are we talking about when we say the poor? Now, as I told you, I'm a Bible nerd. <clears throat> so, there are at least four common Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are all translated into English as poor, as the poor. Um, and so actually in English, we have limitations in terms of our understanding based purely on our language. Um, so there are different types of poverty. There are having experience working in the downtown east side and working with people who are experiencing poverty and experiencing homelessness. Sometimes we implicitly in our language propagate stereotypes that create an us and them mentality. And this isn't just in terms of the poor. Like, this is in terms of a lot of things that we talk about and ways that we act. So you might notice that I tend to say people experiencing homelessness. I do my best to never say, oh, this homeless person. Because first of all, that's kind of objectifying uh, to them. Like, it's kind of just making them like this, oh, this homeless. It has a bit of a derogatory tone to it, no matter how you say it. And it somehow makes me separate from that other person. And implied in that, it makes it seem like I'm better than them. But none of those things are true. Right? And so I will often say people experiencing homelessness, people experiencing poverty, because it's, that's what they're experiencing in this moment in their lives. But actually, they're still a human, just like I am. Um, that we don't use language that creates a divide. So I'm going to propose to you that there are three different types of poverty. Um, and we're not going to get in depth into most of these because, well, I think I have maybe 15 to 20 more minutes here, and we're on, like, page two of my notes, okay? So, <laughs> three different types of poverty. So there's the poverty that we can see. So this is things that are right in front of our face. So this would be like, you know, when we see people who are experiencing homelessness, we can see that they're experiencing a type of material poverty. Um, or maybe, you know, you see people who are on income assistance or something like that. So there's the poverty that we can see. Um, and, you know, we can, we can know there's maybe someone who came and they put on like a World Vision video or something. And then we think, oh, these children in this developing nation who are experiencing poverty. But I think most of us, myself included, on an average day, we generally don't think about that. Um, so there's the poverty that we can see. There's the poverty, poverty that we cannot see. So what I mean by the poverty, the poverty that we cannot see is things like spiritual poverty, emotional poverty. Um, and so I'm not going to get into that a lot because we just don't have time. But the idea of people lacking something spiritually or emotionally um, or in other ways that we can't see and we don't know about unless they tell us. And then the third one, which is this is where we're going to spend a lot of time, is the poverty that we are ignorant of. Now, I think the word ignorance gets a bad reputation because we often understand it to mean not intelligent. But actually, the definition of ignorance is exactly what I've put on this slide. We don't know what we don't know. Ignorance just means we don't know. And there are many, many things that all of us in this room don't know. 
Um, and so when we talk about pover- poverty we're ignorant of, maybe some of you know some of these statistics that I'm going to give. Um, but again, I think on a daily basis, we tend to not think about these things. So even if we know them, we sometimes still operate as if we're ignorant of them because we live our lives as if some of these facts don't necessarily exist. And that includes myself. Okay, I'm going to be really honest with you guys. When I was thinking about what I was going to wear to speak here today, I have a shirt, a t-shirt, that was made by women in India who have been rescued from human trafficking, who have been paid fair wages to make that t-shirt. Okay, and I thought, oh, I'm speaking about poverty, and I'm going to give you some statistics about clothing in a minute here. And I was like, maybe I should wear my like good ethical shirt. And then I thought, no, I should be a real human being and I should wear my real clothes because sometimes for some reason we do this thing to the person on stage where we think that it was made by slaves. Okay? I can tell you that for a fact and the reason I can tell you that for a fact is because the brand of this sweater, Joe Fresh, is notorious for slave labor. So I can with pretty good confidence tell you that. And I'm not saying that as like a brag. Right? Like I bought this sweater before, when I was actually ignorant of these things and I didn't know them. Um, but I still have it in my closet. Okay? So like we all are regular people. None of us are going to be perfect at this. But the point is we need to make changes in our lives to start living more righteously. Because righteous living requires responsible giving. So... <clears throat> Globalization is a great thing. It's raised the GDP of most nations in the world. Um, However, it has also resulted in people experiencing poverty that we, as a first world, as people living in a first world nation, in a wealthy nation, that we unintentionally perpetuate. So as I just mentioned about my shirt, this is like I have contributed to the cycle of poverty through globalization by purchasing this which, to be honest, I think I got like 10 years ago. But anyway. Um, So I'm going to give you some stats here. Okay? So, and in case you're a nerd like me, I have sources and references for all of these facts on the bottom of my note. So if you're like, did she make these up? I can point you to where these came from. So in 2015, 736 million people lived below the international poverty line. Okay, the international poverty line is $1.90 US per day. That's about $2.50 Canadian per day. That's less than most of us spend on our morning cup of coffee. So in 2018, and most of those people living below that extreme poverty line reside in Southern Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. So Sub-Saharan Africa is like most of Africa other than Northern Africa. The World Bank says that in 2018, um, about 46% of the world lived on less than 550 US per day. Again, that is less than most of us would go spend on lunch. Probably some of us, that's what we're going to go do after church. People live on less than that, 46%. International label, the way that income is distributed to different people in different countries that the top 10% of income in the world from labor, 
So like when you do work, you get paid. The top 10% of the world earns 48.9% of the world's income. And the bottom 50% earns only 6.4. So that means, like in case you're wondering, we're all in this top 10%, purely based on the fact that we live in Canada. Like, even if you are experiencing homelessness on the streets of Vancouver, you probably are still falling within this top 10%, to be perfectly honest with you. So these are like kind of some sobering statistics, right? But so if you thought you were going to feel good, I'm sorry, I'm going to make it worse. Um, so some stats that hit closer to home. As I mentioned about clothing, um, and the reason these aren't on the slide is because there's simply just too much to put on there. So an estimated 11% of the global population of children, okay, so 11% of children in the world are engaged in child labor, most of them in the garment industry. So most of them making our clothing that we're wearing. Approximately 80% of clothing in the U.S. is made in conditions that violate international labor laws. And we're not far behind the U.S., this one shocked me, I'm going to be honest, and I've known most of these things for a while. 76% of Canadians are made in sweatshops by children. So 76% of Canadians are stressed out about overpaying. Only 59% are concerned about buying sweatshop-made clothing. So we're more concerned about how much money, like as a nation, we are more concerned about how much money we're spending on clothes than whether or not our clothing was made by child labor. Coffee. If you're not a coffee drinker, tea is also usually not made great, harvested great. Um, coffee. Remember how I'm a coffee nerd? This grieves my heart a lot. Adult workers uh, in coffee plantations earn between $3 and $4.50 per day. At least 14 nations use child labor to harvest coffee, and that number is actually probably much higher because a lot of children will get brought to the plantation with their parents to work the fields, but they're not considered employees because their parents are the only ones getting paid, which means that the kid is helping mom and dad, but kid is not earning any income, um, and actually the kid has no protections because they're not an employee. Chocolate. Easter is coming up. We all know that here in North America, Easter usually means chocolate. You can see it's all over Costco. I was there just the other day. They're out of toilet paper, but they got a lot of chocolate. Chocolate. More than 70% of the world's cocoa supply comes from the Ivory Coast and, and Ghana, which are in both of those countries are in West Africa. Most farmers of cocoa earn below the poverty line. And so this means that it produces an environment where child labor and child trafficking uh, are massive because farmers are living below the poverty line. And so because they're already in poverty, they need people to work the fields who are the most vulnerable people, their children. And so they have children come and work the fields. And actually cocoa, like the harvest of cocoa, I'm going to be real honest with you. When you understand some of those things, we should be paying astronomically more for our chocolate than we are because actually every single... Technology. This one's really fun. Who here has a smartphone? Like 
most of us. I do, right? My iPhone's right here. It's recording. Apple, by the way, not that ethical. <clears throat> okay, every single smartphone has what could be called conflict minerals in it. So some of you might be familiar with things like conflict diamonds or blood diamonds. Conflict minerals are basically the same thing. So specifically cobalt. Cobalt is something that um, makes batteries rechargeable. Like it's one of the minerals that's in batteries that makes it rechargeable. Um, and so actually like there are tons of articles you can read about how, how cobalt is mined. Again, usually by children, um, usually zero safety equipment. Um, and the average worker earns approximately $9 a day mining cobalt. So actually that's better than coffee. Um, so these are all like some pretty meek statistics, right? Like, I don't know. And maybe you're sitting there thinking like, oh gosh, this girl is just trying to make us feel guilty about the way we live our entire lives. And I'm not. That's not what I'm trying to do. That's why one of the first things I admitted to you is about my shirt, which I'm not proud of, but it's a fact. Um, but what I'm trying to do is make us aware of some of these realities because actually we unintentionally perpetuate cycles of poverty every single day. Like, most of us probably enjoy Starbucks. And I hate to break it to you, but majority of Starbucks coffee is not fair trade, which means that workers are not being paid fair wages to harvest it. Some, some of their beans are, but not all. Um, you know, or even our phones, when we use our phones or when we upgrade our phones, it's like we, we contribute to all of these things. And I think we have a responsibility to know about these things and we have a responsibility to do something about it. So I think, you know, in Jesus' day, like most of us, probably, if you've been in the church for a while, we're familiar with this story where the lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan who was the neighbor in this situation, and the lawyer says, oh, it was the, the man who had mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Right? So in Jesus' day, it, globalization hadn't occurred yet. Like it, like, it hadn't yet happened. So, like, yes, there was trade happening throughout the Roman Empire and all of those types of things, but for the most part, your neighbor was the person right next to you, right in front of you. In our globalized world, our, our neighbor includes people overseas. It includes people that we have never and will never met. Uh, meet. It, because that's just the nature of globalization, is actually that we all trade internationally, and so our actions impact people overseas, um, and we need to be aware of that. So, if that hasn't convinced you enough that we need to, you know, change some of the ways that we act towards the poor, um, I'm going to give you a few other reasons why we should be generous to the poor. And I'm going to skip because I'm reorganizing on the fly here. Oh. I think I want this one. No. Okay, we're just going to go here. So, <laughs> see, this is why you should follow your notes. Um, but I'm running out of time, like really running out of time. Okay, so why should we be generous to the poor? So, um, first of all, um, when we oppress the poor, we insult our maker. Now, the use of that word maker there is meant to remind us, commentators say, it's meant to remind us that we are all made in God's image. Your socioeconomic status does not dictate whether or not you are made in God's image. 
This is every single human who ever has walked the planet, even the most horrible ones, are all made in God's image. And so actually, the fact that we are socioeconomically bed, poverty is no virtue and wealth is no sin. On the other hand, wealth is not morally good and poverty is not morally evil. A man may be a good man and a rich man. It is quite certain that very frequently good men are poor men. Virtue is a plant which depends not upon the atmosphere which surrounds it, but upon the hand which waters it and upon the grace which sustains it. And so because of that, we ought to be generous towards people who are socioeconomically uh, doing not as well as us. Give a few other uh, reasons. Because the Bible tells us. Now, I hate when people are like preaching and they're like, because the Bible said. Like, I hate it. You could go home, though, and you could look up the poor and you will find numerous verses about how God intends for us to act towards the poor. So actually, even when you look at like the Old Testament and the laws of the Old Testament, there are massive amounts of laws that pertain to how people were even supposed to harvest their fields because they were supposed to leave leftover crops in their field for the poor, um, like for widows, the fatherless, uh, and foreigners to come and harvest. So there were all of these laws about how actually like you weren't supposed to just look out for you. It was also about looking out for the people around you. Also, whoever's generous to the poor lends to the Lord. So some of us might be familiar with this verse um, that talks about, it's talking about the judgment and Jesus is like, yeah, whatever you did to the poor and those in prison um, and those who were hungry and those who were without clothing, like you've done to me, right? We're probably familiar with this. And the, the passage that we most often quote is, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, so you did it to me. Now we tend to understand that verse as the least of these, meaning the poor. Now in context, Jesus is clearly talking about people who are experiencing poverty, because he talks about clothing people and feeding people. Um, but actually, when you look at the Greek word, the, the original Greek word that's translated into English as least, it doesn't mean poor. It's not a word that means poverty. It actually means little. Like a, like a little, like a small amount. So I would suggest to you that actually in this verse, Jesus is saying, yes, what you do to people who are experiencing poverty, you do to me. But I would suggest that he's also saying, what you do even in the little things, you do to me. So all those like really nasty statistics that I gave you before, what we do even in the little things matters to Jesus. So as an example, um, like I told you, I'm a coffee nerd. I buy only fair trade coffee. And actually even better than fair trade is direct trade. Um, and that's a personal thing because I'm like, okay, I want people who are picking my coffee to be getting paid a fair and a living wage. Right Now, we probably can't change all the things that we need to change to not contribute to slave labor. It's kind of like, this is getting maybe a little bit political, but it's kind of like climate change. We can't just eliminate fossil fuels tomorrow because our world relies on fossil fuels. So like, yeah, we need to have a plan and we need to start you know, reducing our use of fossil fuels. In the same way, we need to make plans and we need to start reducing our use of slave labor. 
Like, I know that that's kind of horrific for me to say to compare, like, people to fuels. Um, but in reality, like, we depend on globalization. We depend on these systems we've put in place. And yes, we need to disrupt those systems, and we need to do that through intentional decisions that we make every day. Um, okay. I'm, like, out of time. Hang on. Yeah, we're just going to skip that whole part. <laughs> because we don't have time. Um, so, yeah, so we should be generous to the poor. I'm going to give you just a few quick um, ways that you can be generous. And so what I mean in this saying with responsible giving is that it's responsible giving with our finances from. When you buy clothing, be responsible. Figure out where your clothing's coming from. Right? Like, I think a lot of the time we like to plead ignorance as an excuse to not care. Like, I've done that. 100% I have done that. I've been like, oh, well, I didn't know, so it doesn't count. Like, if you go to a country and you break a law and the cops catch you and you're like, oh, I didn't know, so it doesn't count. The cops are not like, oh, that's fine. They're like, it doesn't matter. Like, you were responsible to know the laws of this country and you didn't do it. So guess what happens? You get in trouble. Right? So... <clears throat> I think we have a responsibility. So, like, be responsible in your giving. And not just your giving in terms of financially, but your giving even in terms of the exchange of money. Um, but I think that we do have a responsibility, especially as people living in a first world nation, in a wealthy first world nation. Um, and so, how does this relate as we look forward? to the resurrection, and we look forward to Easter, and we look forward to celebrating what Christ done, has done for us, I think, first of all, Jesus was generous to us. And so we ought to be, we ought to be generous to others. And that doesn't mean just financially. I think sometimes financial generosity, if we're being really honest, is a cop-out. Because sometimes it costs us the least amount. What I mean by that is, like, I had someone once talk about, what about the idea of tithing time? <laughs> right? Like, what about the idea of, like, actually tithing your time? Like, giving 10% of your time to the Lord to, I don't know, volunteer or help at church or, you know? But a lot of us are more comfortable just kind of putting, putting money in the, in the offering basket or writing a check because it kind of costs us less in many ways, right? We kind of just do it and we're like, okay, cool. Um, and, like, we should be generous with our finances, but we should be generous in other ways as well. Um, and so I think Jesus was generous to us. We have a responsibility to be generous. But also, like when we look forward to Easter and we look forward to getting ready for celebrating Christ's resurrection, when Christ died on the cross and resurrected, he, he didn't like end all of world history in that moment, right? Like he didn't like scoop everybody up and, and like, kind of take them to heaven. And, like, that wasn't the end of time, right? So that implies that Jesus' resurrection means something for us today in terms of how we live our lives. Because, actually, if Christ's resurrection was purely about our salvation at the end of everything, then wouldn't he have just done it already? Like, why are we still here then? Right? So obviously his resurrection means something for us today as well. And so when we look forward to that, we need to do something in response. Um, 
So when we talk about caring for the poor, why should we? Because when we want to live rightly before the Lord, righteous living, we're required to give, but we're required to give responsibly and to be intentional about how we do that. So I just want to reiterate one more time. Righteous living requires responsible giving. So when you go out and you go out for lunch or you, you know, go home or you go to Starbucks or you get your coffee, like, I hope that this is, those things impact people who are experiencing poverty. And those things impact people who we would consider the poor. Um, 